Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast, which consistently and accurately brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything you're talking about in football. I mean, McGarry, and with me, as usual, is Duncan Castles. Uh, lots on the agenda today, Duncan, to talk about both transfer-wise and football politics-wise, because there's been some interesting developments regarding administration and clubs very unhappy about various uh, different facets of what's coming up, what's happening, and uh, how they're going to deal with it. But we start at Old Trafford, why not? And uh, the future of Anthony Martial, the France international striker. If you remember, uh, this podcast brought you news first that Martial wanted to leave Manchester United. It's certainly the case, Duncan, that he has not featured heavily uh, in terms of game time. And uh, it has also been the case that United have played uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo uh, as a centre forward, as well as uh, at times playing a sort of false nine or a nine and a half, whatever you want to call it. Now, he's got a very big contract, uh, so I doubt he's going to be very easy to move. And this is something, of course, that we discussed on the last pod with regards to the cull uh, at Old Trafford, which uh, Ralph Ranić is planning. Um, he thinks the squad's too big. Martial, although uh, someone who earns a lot of money, certainly has um, a reasonable goal record. Um, you would have to think that there'd be someone out there, Duncan, who's willing to take him in terms of uh, the transfer fee. As I said, it's just whether or not uh, United are willing to pay him off in terms of the remainder of his contract to make it, and I always think this is an ironic phrase, worth his while to leave. Yeah, when we were talking about the problems of getting players out of Manchester United, one of the issues is having the player wanting to leave. At least that part of it's in place for um, Ralph Ranić and for the Manchester United board and that Marcel wants to be playing football again. He wants primarily to uh, cement his place in France's World Cup squad and is tired of his status at Manchester United at present. Um, this season, he's only ranked 16th in terms of Premier League minutes amongst that extremely top-heavy squad that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer built um, in order to make up for his essentially his inability to rotate players and, and keep them fit through the season. Um, he's had two starts this year in the Premier League and played just 202 minutes. His form is poor. Um, going back to the start of the 2021 season, he has seven goals and 46 appearances for the club. Um, which kind of explains why he's he's dropped 
down uh, the rankings in terms of getting playing time and that late arrival of Cristiano Ronaldo made things particularly difficult for him. He went into the last summer transfer window trying to find an exit. His agent was offering him around European clubs, but the issue, as you highlight, was financial. Um, At that stage, Manchester United had not made a decision over what they wanted to do and Solskjaer was keen to keep him on board because Solskjaer's strategy was have as many um, high quality options as possible uh, to to have the most uh, options through the course of the season. The issue in the summer was would United leave him, let him go? And secondly, would a suitor be able to meet, match the salary he has at Old Trafford, which is a remarkable 13 million euros a year after tax. He's one of the highest paid players in the Premier League. That's a reflection of um, his popularity with the Glazer family um, and also a reflection of Manchester United's um, competence when it comes to negotiating contracts. And, uh, and, and is, I think, quite clearly one of the players that they have overvalued. They missed an opportunity um, to move him out when managers had been advising that he he should be shifted and and resources placed elsewhere. Instead, they raised his salary and then now got themselves in this position where he hasn't said it himself, um, but his agent went public to say that Anthony wishes to leave the club in January. He just needs to play, doesn't want to stay in January, and I will speak to the club soon. So advertising his availability. That was, of course, put to Ralph Ranić, who um, did not take the the form of messaging well. In fact, he essentially refused to to answer um, the statement from Martial's agent. He said, "I don't communicate with agents via the media or the press. The player hasn't spoken with me or with us about it." Um, talked about how he. Uh, was struggling for fitness and they were waiting to see if he would be able to to be available for the Brentford game, which was subsequently postponed uh, and concluded by saying it should be the player. If a player wishes to go to another club, it should be the player who informs either the board or myself, whoever. I've never spoken to a player via media or agents. Um, so you have this scenario where Marcel has decided he wants to leave. His agent is pushing for that move, has been pushing a move for some time. Ranić is unimpressed with the way um, his agent has placed that in the public domain. Um, now they have to find a club um, prepared to take him, which I don't think is, is going to be difficult, but prepared to take him at a price that's acceptable to Manchester United. Um, I can tell you, that there are certain people who have looked at the the Newcastle United uh, situation and looked at Newcastle's United need for experienced Premier League players and need for a, an additional goal scorer up front had suggested that Marcel could be a good signing for them um, because of his situation at United, because they have the financial wherewithal to, to pay his wages if necessary. Um, and we're, we're looking at it from the perspective of is he persuadable? Can we offer him the best option for the rest of the season? Can we give him that platform to score goals again in the Premier League and get himself back in, in the French national team? Um, it'll be interesting to see whether the current 
stewardship of Newcastle United with a sports director not having come in. And we talked last week about a lot of the issues they have there over recruitment, whether they look to take advantage of the situation and if they're capable of persuading Martial that it's the right place for him to go to a club battling relegation to, to prove his abilities again. Antonio Giorgio has quite a nice ring to it, though it has to be said. Um, I would also, um, you know, condone and indeed uh, say I admire Martial for uh, wanting to leave behind his big fat contract uh, so that he can play football. However, if his aim is to get into the French national team, uh, I think he should maybe just cast an eye over Kylian Mbappe, Karim Benzema, and indeed even. Antoine Griezmann, uh, who are ahead of him in the pecking order. So uh, good luck with that, Antonio, Giorgio, if that's where you're going to end up. Uh, and we shall see. And of course, you'll get news first here on the transfer window. Just to add a little bit on another Manchester United player who's unhappy with his status at present, and that's Dean Henderson. Um, you can go back to podcasts from like well over a year ago where we talked about Henderson's self-confidence and the, the fact that he wanted to be first choice at Manchester United and was was demanding the ability to prove himself as first choice in order to sign a new contract. Obviously, he's lost that battle. Um, David De Gea has firmly re-established himself as the number one player and Henderson is again grumbling via his agent to uh, the English media that he needs to be playing. Um, the idea has been floated that he goes out on loan in January, potentially on an 18-month loan um, in order to get Premier League football or top-tier football so he can um, fulfil what he seems to think is his birthright of becoming the England national team goalkeeper. Story has gone out that Ajax were interested in signing him in January, taking him on loan until the end of the season. I've had a chat with um, some contacts at Ajax and they tell me that is not the case. In fact, they described it as fake news. So um, it would seem from what Ajax are saying, it's very unlikely that Henderson to uh, the Erdovis is going to be the solution in the January window. It is that time. We're now obviously in the countdown to the World Cup in Qatar next year, uh, less than a calendar year. And so players are getting itchy feet with regards to the fact that uh, if they're not playing regularly, they may well miss out, especially players of a certain age. That certainly applies, Duncan, to uh, Cesar, quotes Dave Azpilicueta, and Marcus Alonso at Chelsea, two fullbacks who at one point looked absolutely irreplaceable, but the emergence of Rhys James and the purchase of Ben Chilwell. Uh, and it is quite amusing to note that those are Chelsea's two top scorers um, so far this season with four and three. Um, so Aspilicueta and Alonso uh, have informed their representatives to uh, find another club or certainly to find alternatives where they believe that they will get playing time. They will get the chance, obviously, in doing so to earn a place in their respective World Cup squads. Um, another factor to this, though, which I think is really quite intriguing, um, because we know that Chelsea uh, under Marina Granovskaya 
uh, have actually been uh, very um, cute, we could say, in the transfer market with regards to uh, their net spend over the past five years. Um, however, the uh, substantial outlays uh, that have taken place on uh, Romelu Lukaku, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner uh, have changed that particular uh, part of the balance sheet at Stamford Bridge. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel is someone who um, is still relatively new in the job, Duncan, wants to build his own team and also wants uh, to strengthen in certain areas. He feels that he has uh, certainly a surplus of players in certain positions. I don't think defence is one of them, that's for sure, but he has a few players out of contract, uh, some of whom who may well decide to move on um, under freedom of contract in the summer or indeed sign a pre-contract in January when they'll be allowed to do so with a club outside of England. Uh, As I said, Duncan, if those two players who are very experienced internationals uh, and very experienced Premier League players do leave, I think if you look at it, Chelsea are going to look a little bit light in terms of their defence um, especially, obviously, Chilwell currently being out and probably for another six weeks. Uh, Rhys James is certainly uh, very good at going forward, played effectively as a, as a right midfielder um, uh, on two on three occasions, in fact, this season in a 3-4-3. So it, do you think that there may be a way back for, for Alonso Nazpilicueta? Short-term deals, we know that Chelsea in the past have only given a year uh, to certain players. And of course, at centre-back, you've got Christensen out of contract, Rudiger out of contract, and Thiago Silva out of contract. I mean, you're talking about the entire defence here. Well, it's it's an interesting setup this, because Azpilicueta, I think there's an argument that Azpilicueta has been one of the most effective in terms of value for money transfers that that Chelsea have made in the entire Roman Abramovich era. Um, And both him and Marcus Alonso have kind of been the great survivors. There's been periods where managers have come in through that rotating door at Stamford Bridge and they've not been their preferred option and and they've been moved to the side and they they always seem to find their way back into the team. you have a factor here that Barcelona are making it clear that they are interested in both of those players, but they want to do deals on the cheap. And Aspilicueta is obviously attractive to them because he will be out of contract at the end of the season. Uh, Alonso at 30 has a contract until 2023. So again, getting to that stage in the summer where um, cheaper deals can be done. Um, and you have the factor of wanting to play for the World Cup. I don't think Tuchel would would like, in an ideal world, would like to to lose either of these players. Um, But if Marina Granovskaya is thinking that there is some kind of financial deal to be done, which allows her to reinvest in other other areas of the team, and you have this pressure from clubs who want to sign the players and might be able to offer them a a, a better guarantee of playing time, and if it's a club like Barcelona uh, going to one of the elite clubs in Spanish football, even if they're in a in a terrible state of repair at the moment, then um, it becomes a more uh, complex scenario. Whether Tuchel puts them back in the team, they become 
central parts normally in circumstances like this where Chelsea are competing for the Premier League competing for the Champions League you would think that the club would say uh, no chance um, that you leave during the season and uh, and and start contract negotiations over extensions even if the, the, the numbers aren't right for the players involved um, but it seems from your information that Kranovsky is open to discussing options um, which probably is a mark of our confidence in our abilities in the transfer market um, and the, the amount of eventual success it's brought to Chelsea um, the, the majority of the manoeuvres she's made uh, as the chief executive effective chief executive of the club Well certainly dealings I've had with Maria Kraskaya and indeed other people uh, whom I know who have had similar uh, interactions don't doubt her confidence that's for sure We move on, Duncan, to the uh, news uh, this week that uh, the dispute between uh, Premier League clubs and Newcastle United and by dint Manchester City regarding what is correct and what is, um, let's just say, uh, exaggerated with regards to uh, nation-state sponsorship uh, in order to provide revenue for those clubs uh, has been, well, in theory, has been resolved. But your information is that this has got some way to run uh, because the two clubs uh, mentioned are very unhappy with what they feel is being thrust upon them and also unfairly. And I think as always is the case in football, there's a way around everything. Yeah, the, I think this was unprecedented when the Premier League changed the rules mid-season um, by banning associated party transactions, as they call them. So sponsorship commercial deals from entities that are directly related to the owners of the club. And they placed a moratorium on that um, shortly after Saudi Arabia and partners through the public investment fund, the, um, the nation state. Um, investment fund of Saudi Arabia purchased Newcastle United um, in which none of these transactions were to be allowed uh, until they had uh, agreed on a what is supposed to be a permanent revision of the rule books. Now that that has now been debated um, there is a, a kind of relaxing but not not sufficient to satisfy Newcastle United and Manchester City. I'm told that the, the other Premier League clubs took on board some of their complaints and they feel like it, it has been watered down to a better set of rules, but not by no means a perfect set of rules in that associated party transactions will be allowed, but they're to be permitted at what the Premier League um, deems to be fair market value. They're going to use independent assessors, external assessors to assess what the value of a, for example, a short sponsorship deal should be for a club like Newcastle United. They're going to use a, a, a confidential data bank created by the league itself of current sponsorship deals um, and past sponsorship deals across Premier League clubs, which the assessor can use to work out what 
fair market value is. And ultimately, the Premier League will take that guidance and say whether any given transaction that any club proposes, but importantly, uh, Newcastle United and Manchester City um, will, will have a special attention paid to them to see whether it matches full market value and whether the Premier League will approve it and allow the sponsorship to be added to the club's revenues. Um, you get a sense of whether City and Newcastle United are happy with it from the vote, which was 18 in favour and two against, and the two opposing clubs were Newcastle United and Manchester City. Talking to one of the clubs involved, I'm told that this is by no means the end of the matter. They believe it is in conflict with UK competition law and it is very much open to legal challenge. They note that Manchester City have showed no hesitancy about getting involved in tortuous legal action against the Premier League in recent years. In fact, they're still in the middle of an ongoing fight over um, contraventions of Premier League rules, uh, which were exposed by the Football Leagues um, and which have gone through various courts in the UK without being fully resolved. We got a partial um, leak of the evidence by one of the courts involved a few months back. Um, showing the lengths to which Man Manchester City had gone to try and prevent the Premier League from punishing them for um, breaches of, of rules. Um, what I've been told is you can expect more of that from Manchester City and that Newcastle United are extremely unhappy about this and will also be involved in challenging it and trying to get the rules into what they believe is an e equitable state for all clubs in the division. Interesting element to this is that although sponsorship transactions will be limited to fair market value, I'm told that there is no limit on the number of commercial deals you can do. So, for example, if Saudi Arabia wanted to put, let's say, £200 million into Newcastle United's revenues, in principle, they could split that across tens of different commercial deals coming out of Saudi Arabia uh, in similar fashion to Manchester United have, I think, over 100 commercial partnerships of varying degrees now, with each of those deals being assessed for fair market value, perhaps the kit sponsorship being allowed at 25 or £30 million pounds if they wanted to put a new sponsor's name on St James's Park, having got rid of Sports Direct, yeah, that could be perhaps twenty million pounds in value for that, and through the the gamut of potential sponsors. So, the total level of nation state funding via um, commercial deals is not necessarily controlled by these new laws, but that each individual sponsorship will be controlled. But Newcastle United are aware of that, and you can see that Manchester City will also be aware of that. So. It's going to be a mess. I, I expect there to be legal challenges over this. I expect it to take some time to resolve. And there is a sense from people who are against these rules that what the Premier League clubs are actually trying to do here is just cause maximum inconvenience to Newcastle United and Saudi Arabia and to Manchester City and Abu Dhabi um, by forcing them to go 
to fight them over these rules and forcing them the the sponsorship money to be drip fed into the the clubs it's it's more about kicking the problem down the road than it is about completely resolving the problem well contrasting examples duncan of uh, gallows or maybe we should say gallagate humor uh with regards to those two clubs i remember one premier league chairman telling me when uh, manchester city uh, was bought uh, by Abu Dhabi, um, he said, "I hear there's a bin outside the Etihad that's worth a hundred million pounds <laughs> because it's got a certain logo on it." And then uh, someone else saying to me, "Partly, Mike actually paid a fiver uh, to get Sports Direct <laughs> put all over the uh, St James's Park stands." Uh, so that probably tells you a little bit about both those owners. More trouble brewing with regards to administration, Duncan. Uh, This time it's the European Clubs Association, which of course is the group of uh, elite clubs in European football uh, who like to uh, throw their weight around, to say the least. Um, And uh, they uh, are very unhappy with the fact that um, it seems like this is every time the African Cup of Nations is played. It's like, oh, God, you know, well, you can't have our best players because, you know, it's a crucial time of our season. But maybe, maybe this is going to be a bit more serious this time because what's happened in the past is that they they do have a moan about it, but then the players go anyway. Um, but perhaps uh, this could be more of a problem to the 52-match tournament, which begins at the start of next year. Yes, I, I think the ECA are, well, they would argue that they're, they're looking at the participation rules for African players for that tournament and the FIFA rules on um, uh, those players being allowed to take part in the tournament. Uh, and factoring COVID and the, and the latest pandemic into uh, their the application of those rules and asking how do you resolve issues of quarantine post-tournament um, application of uh, COVID regulations during the tournament? How do you get the, the national teams to enforce the kind of um, strict COVID avoidance regulations that are happening within the Premier League and other major European leagues. Um, The less charitable interpretation is they're using COVID as an excuse to uh, prevent their players going to the African Cup of Nations and and retaining them for use in in the Premier League and and other uh, leagues over that that January period. Uh, In fact, the earliest call-up that uh, that has been proposed for Cannes is from December 27th because the, the nations are obviously allowed to take the players for a training camp ahead of the tournament themselves. They've written a letter to FIFA um, trying to set the conditions for release of players for the tournament. There's three important factors. One is that each of the African national associations involved has to satisfy ECA clubs that all applicable medical protocols have been implemented and will be strictly enforced. Um, Second is that uh, 
the, the call-up period, the extended call-up period, cannot um, mean that players miss official club matches, which seems a strange one because obviously it will mean that they miss official club matches. And the third one is that, um, that the players coming back from the tournament, the unavailability of those players cannot extend beyond the agreed release period. For example, quarantine or travel restrictions, meaning that the players would be unavailable for longer than the defined FIFA release period. So that they're, they're laying down a set of conditions there and saying that they're not going to let players go unless all of those conditions are met by each of the African nations that wants to take their players for um, for Cannes. Um, and those conditions, I think, are so stringent that if FIFA were to agree with them, then clubs like Liverpool, who are particularly hard hit because they, they can expect to see Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah leave uh, in January, to represent their teams at the tournament will be able to say, no, um, we're not going to let them go. We're going to keep them for, for the Premier League and for the FA Cup during uh, that spell. Um, it is, I think, it, it's offered them ammunition, as you say, over something that they always complain about. Um, I'm fascinated to see how the players respond. Uh, ultimately, if someone like Mo Salah or Sadio Mane says, I am going, I want to play in the African Cup of Nations and I don't want my club to prevent me um, from joining by using uh, the COVID pandemic as a, an excuse to say that the, the, the period in which I'm away is going to have to be extended, uh, therefore I can't go. If, if those players say no to this, then I think the clubs are going to have to back down. But um, I think we're going to have a fight uh, en route to that resolution. Having um, known, met, interviewed uh, many, many African players over the years, Duncan, I can honestly say that I have yet to come across one who is not fiercely proud to play and represent his country. It is a massive, massive deal for them. I'm not saying it's not the same in any other continent, but it, African players certainly have a great pride in representing our country. And I think um, clubs can moan, uh, ECE can moan all they like, but I think if a, a player wants to play um, in, the, in the African Cup of Nations, then that's exactly what he's going to do. So, um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be, as you say, a fight. Speaking uh, of fights, even though uh, it is meant to be the season of goodwill and festive cheers, there wasn't much festive cheer over the last 40 hours regarding the Premier League's uh, apparently very inconsistent decision-making with regards to uh, postponing certain matches um, because of the uh, COVID uh, positive tests at some clubs, um, including the postponement of the Tottenham Hotspur Brighton Hove Albion game last Sunday, uh, and of course forcing other clubs to play regardless. Uh, I understand that several clubs made very, very strong appeals and complaints to the uh, Premier League administration, uh, to the match committee, 
and of course the board itself with regard to uh, being asked or indeed not asked, told that you will be playing uh, football um, because we simply don't have the space in the fixture list which allows us to fulfil uh, all of the obligations, uh, especially for teams who are uh, still playing in Europe. Now, I know we're in a very you know, d- difficult and also unusual situation with the pandemic, um, but it's also the case that you know, we did have a massive gap in terms of the lockdown, in terms of Project Restart, in terms of no fans in the stadia. And the Premier League's argument, I am told, is that they want to try and retain as much normality as possible in uh, the competition uh, in order to keep it fair and regulated. Um, However, the the clubs who have been complaining uh, about being forced to play are saying, well, that's nonsense because it seems to be one rule for some clubs and one for another. Obviously, Manchester United have also had a game postponed for the same reason. So uh, this is another one that's going to be rumbling on. It seems to be everyone's having a go at each other. I think the basic and fundamental issue here is you cannot have ad hoc applications or postponements according to to unavailability because of, for players because of COVID infections. You have to have a consistent rule. Um, whether that rule, and, and ideally you have a practical rule in terms of number number of players who are actually available who have not tested positive for COVID, uh, required to to make out a team and a bench in order to play a game. Once you go below that number, then the match is postponed. But if you do it in the way the Premier League has been doing it, which is allowing clubs to petition for postponement and deciding on an ad hoc basis whether they're going to grant that or not, you will always have other clubs saying this is unfair. Um, Why are they allowed a postponement when we ask for a postponement and we've got as many um, players unavailable or more players unavailable because of COVID and you're saying no to us? You simply cannot have a a sense of the rules being applied on a game-by-game basis and on a differential basis according to the club and and what will be perceived, whether it's correct or not, to be the status of the club, given that it's been Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United who have successfully petitioned to have games postponed and who are two of the, the six most affluent clubs in the league. It's almost like Boris Johnson's in charge, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> See one thing, do another. Um well, Boris is trying to get control of, of football as he's um, in inverted commas independent regulator and, and has used uh, used football as a political football to date by uh, jumping into the, the European Super League events. So be careful what you wish for with that one, Ian. Yeah, I'm not wishing, I can assure you. This has been the first podcast of this week for the transfer window, which means we will complete it with our hero and villain section. Uh, Duncan, I'm going to break the tradition and go first uh, because I think we deserve all of us to uh, applaud uh, one man, Sergio Aguero, who today uh, on Wednesday announced his retirement uh, due to a cardiac issue. 
um, which has uh, been identified, and he um, gave a very emotional press conference at Camp Now, uh, where he said that it was with great sadness that his career has come to an end at the very young age of 33. This is a man who is Manchester City's all-time record goal scorer, 260 goals uh, for City, as well as winning 12 major trophies in that time. Uh, it wasn't all plain sailing for him, despite his incredible talent. Um, as you remember, Pep Guardiola did not actually like his style of play and was willing to sell him um, before Aguero uh, changed his style of play and uh, decided that the pressing, uh, high-press game that Guardiola had demanded of his players was something he was willing to subscribe to. Stayed at the club, of course, and the rest is history. So, Sergio Aguero of both uh, Manchester City in the main, uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, laterally of Barcelona, and, of course, Argentina. We salute you. I think, yeah, I think you're the perfect choice of hero and and, and someone who, despite that goal-scoring record, kind of always flown a little bit under the radar in terms of the, the status that's been been awarded to him I think because he doesn't give a lot of interviews I think because also because he's a foreign footballer but actually ended up as the highest scoring overseas footballer in the history of the Premier League and most interesting statistic of all um, of all all those um, high scoring footballers within the, the Premier League's ranks Aguero's record of a goal every 107.9 minutes is the best goal per minute ratio of any of the, the top players, anyone who scored over 15 goals in the Premier League. Second in the list was Thierry Henry, who was back at one goal every 121.8 minutes. Well, the other thing is, Duncan, which I found, uh, you know, if you read between the lines and you, you know, you like a little bit of conspiracy, he said, I have made a decision to give up professional football and I was thinking, ooh, he'd be good at six aside, wouldn't he? <laughs> Get him in that team. <laughs> anyway, give us your uh, villain of the week, please. Um, v- VAR, I think, gets it once again. Uh, we haven't we haven't chosen that uh, that system for a while, but after the the weekend in which, surprise, surprise, a number of the. Uh, Higher status teams in the Premier League benefited from extremely controversial and in some cases obviously wrong VAR uh, overrules in their favour to either win games or or uh, or gain a point from a match. Um, I think most notably Manchester City's penalty against Wolverhampton Wanderers, which clearly should not have been given for handball under the the rules as uh, as rewritten, and that's that's a rule that's been rewritten numerous times in recent years um, and I, I think we should also mention in this our uh, uh, Transfer Window podcast um, regular contributor Glenn Murray who um, on Premier League television asked about that decision uh, against Manchester City noted that that even Denmark Gallagher had, uh, had, uh, had stated that the wrong decision was given the, the Premier League uh, officials Employee who's who um, who works on a couple of TV stations, generally explaining why every decision given by VAR or or a referee is right. Um, Glenn Murray pointed out even Gallagher had uh, 
had uh, admitted this one was wrong and, and said, and that takes something, by the way, changing his mind. It's a big thing. I wonder if he'd come direct from a Downing Street party. That was why uh, he suddenly went against his normal uh, uh, sort of, uh, yes, everything's right that the um, PGMOL do uh, and uh, never question them <laughs> because it's not correct. Uh, we have brought you, as usual, the news before it ha- becomes news. Uh, that's what we do. That's, and that is uh, because why you listen to the Transfer Window podcast. Please engage with us on our social media channels and platforms. We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, You'll also find Duncan at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at GarboSJ, also on Twitter. And you can search us on YouTube uh, to listen to the podcast, which just search Transfer Window Podcast. We'll be back later this week with more exclusive news, as well as, of course, some uh, views, analysis and insight. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.